Everyone has a Judas. Everyone. Sometime in your life, the closest friends who really not only have disappointed you, but really have damaged you. Everyone has a Judas. When I went to Japan, one of the hardest lessons I learned that the guy I trusted the most with my move to go to Japan and my family and having sold, having left my uh, place in Michigan and sold our house and I became my Judas. Uh, the one I trusted the most lifted up his heel against me and I thought, uh, the art of learning forgiveness, the art of learning grace and handling wounds came through this man that never would have expected would be a betrayer. How do you handle betrayal? What is God doing when you've been so hurt and so disappointed that your soul is wounded? And what do you do with the wound? Uh, we're going to be talking about healing the, G, the, the Judas wound, and, uh, but everybody has the Judas. Luke, as an author, as we get into the book of Acts, he's writing to a friend named Theophilus, and he's writing in a chronological order uh, to give an account of actually what happened because this is another mystery. How could someone so close to Jesus, who had been one of the inner circle among the twelve, become the very one that would betray Jesus? And, and Luke would be writing this story so that Theophilus would understand how Judas fits into the story. This would no doubt be passed on to others so that others too would have an understanding of how this mystery of betrayal would be part of God's plan. No doubt, Luke's version was not his own story. He didn't come up with it. It's not a conjecture. It wasn't an explanation. But it says in, in Acts that he was careful to go out and ask people and, and, and what they understood about what was going on. And so the book of Acts is Luke's compilation of what everybody understood among the followers of Christ. It's a well-written document of the experiences of all the followers of those days. It's a collective work, and it was a work that was talked about in the marketplace, in the homes. It was an oral tradition as people would pass on the word and witness through relationships, what happened? What happened? But Luke was the one who put it to pen, and he would lay down from beginning to end what those servants of the word said. Handed down, passed on from friend to friend. And then having investigated everything thoroughly, Luke penned these things to his friend Theophilus. And it says in Acts, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught, Theophilus. We want you to get the clear perspective. John, the Apostle John, also would say uh, in his experience with Jesus that there are so many things that Jesus did, so many things that he passed on to us, so many experiences that we had watching him heal and demons fly, and on and on it would go, that if everything were to be written down about Jesus, uh, the world couldn't contain all those books, all those accounts. But for us, as we get into the book of Acts, 
we know this, that the Holy Spirit has selected Luke Acts as the unitary account of what took place in those times. And the Holy Spirit has preserved that book for all time, for all believers, so that everyone everywhere would come to understand what the whole mystery of the cross, of the resurrection, the, the betrayal, the ascension, the seating, all those, we have, and you have a copy of it. I do too. And we are witnesses of these things. But not all things are believed because a lot of people don't know the record. They don't know the oral tradition. They don't know the written record. They just don't know. And therefore, we live in a world 2,000 years later where people kind of uh, go by their conjectures and go by their opinions. And they don't know exactly what happened. Saturday. Was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. <laughs> uh, yesterday, uh, I was having breakfast with a young man. It was Doug's grandson. Doug is out of the v- uh, out of the VA, and is he's he's overcome the difficulties of of an open heart surgery, and uh, and he's back home, and so he wanted to go to have breakfast, and he brought his grandson Luke. I thought that's a good name, Luke. Um, and Luke was a young graduate, and I asked, Luke sat across the table, and Doug sat next to me, and we were having a good time talking. And I began to talk to Luke. I said, Luke, uh, what, what are your plans now that you've graduated? And he proudly, uh, he proudly said, I'm going to go into the Navy. And immediately I thought about you, Bob. He's not going to be a motor. You, what, what was your position? A motor machinist mate. Yeah, so you kept the engines running and you were, uh, well, you were down under. Uh, he was going to be, uh, uh, he was going to go into weapon, weapon specialist and he wanted to be a gunner's mate. So he says, my plan is to go into the Navy. I'm going to go to the, uh, the school over in Illinois at the uh, uh, Naval Training Center at the Great Lakes Center over there. And his plan was to graduate uh, after service and go into the police work. So I was talking to Luke and I said, you know, you're 18 and you're going to get some great training and experience. And then I said, you know, you're going to go into a, a career that's going to shift your thinking about people. You're going to go into war and thinking about protection and conflict and then you're going to go into police work, which you're going to have to deal with criminal element, and you're going to see the dark side of the human uh, experience. And uh, I said, you know, that's going to shape the way you think about God, yourself, and people. And he listened to me as I relayed a couple of stories from state policemen that I've talked with who've become seriously cynical, burned out, depressed in many cases. But because once you get a picture of the dark side and how many people live in that element on a daily basis, you begin to realize how much betrayal, violence, damage is done and how many people walk around with wounded souls that are not healed. Luke said, well, I believe in God. I believe in God. I mean, 
I mean, I call upon God sometimes and I get in trouble and, and uh, I, I, I believe that I'm okay. And uh, we talked a bit and I, I shared with Luke, I said, you know, uh, I would invite you, and this is what I said, I would invite you, Luke, this summer to read through the book of John and ask two questions. Because there's some things about your faith. I know you say you believe. And uh, I know from your answer, it's just like he's an 18-year-old thinking about career and girls and everything else besides God. So I said, I would I'd like to invite you to think about reading through the book of John and asking these two questions as you lead your life from on onward. I said, read the book of John and ask God, who are you? And two, what do you require of me? What do you want of me? Where do I fit into this? He said, okay, I'll do that. So Doug, Doug was encouraged and I was encouraged, but when I went home, the Lord put something in my heart. I don't know how you guys do this, but when, I, when you go through an experience and, and God says, Jerry, I want, you, I want you to learn from this. I want you to reflect on this. As I did this, I thought about our time together and I thought, don't ask about faith, do you believe in God? Because everybody says, I believe in God. Luke said, I believe in God. But it was a naive, uninformed belief. One that he was kind of com uh, comfortable with at a very shallow, shallow level. And the Lord said to me, next time you uh, see Luke, ask him this question. Do you love me? Ask about loving God. Not do you believe in God. Ask him about the love life that he has with the Father. That's a different, that shifts everything. Do you know the love of God? Well, we're in, a, we're in a position here, as I mentioned last week, that there were four things, if you remember from last week's sermon, that when people go through experiences, whether they be betrayal or wounded or damaged, or, or they're, they're searching for Christ and they have a conversion experience. Whatever they go through, they have these four stages of experience. Remember these from last week? That one, you have something happen in your life, some event, some episode, some accident, some surgery, some, some funeral, some, something that you will go through wonderful and horrible experiences but when you go through any experience, whether it's buying something or just normal daily living, you have an experience. And life is filled with experiences. But once you go through something, then your brain tries to understand and figure out. And so I said to Luke, can you answer this question? He said, why do we go to war? He goes, I don't know. He's 18 <laughs> I don't know. And then I said, why do smart people make dumb mistakes? I don't know. And then knowing what's right, why do we choose to do what's wrong? And knowing what's wrong, why is it that human nature has this predisposition? Uh, we know what's wrong, and we don't do it. There's a craziness and you're trying to figure out life when life comes at you and it is distorted and it is mutated and it is violent and it is cruel and evil. How do you understand that? How do you understand when things don't go well but your brain is hot with the constant penetration of thoughts of why did that happen? 
when you lose children, like 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 Sarah has and Ellen has, it's, you cannot not have these questions that just bombard your mind. And therefore, when you go through an experience, the second thing you try to do is to understand it. And the thing is, you cannot understand evil because evil makes no sense. It's not rational. It's not logical. There's something that's undoing the human soul when we get into these things of just destruction. And that's what you go through. You go through experience, then you go through an understanding stage, and then you go through the third stage where you try to uh, discern or judge. And when you judge, you are really bringing critical thinking to bear by saying, this is not good. This is not me. I don't want to be part of this. I want to be part of this, but you will go through and evaluate that experience, evaluate that understanding, and you'll either bring it close to your heart or you'll throw it away from your heart based on your decision-making after you have judged it. This fits me. I want this. This does not fit me. I don't want this. But you go through these four stages. Experience, you go through an understanding, You'll go through a time of discernment or judging, and then you'll make a decision. And your decision will be the one that governs your action, which way you move, towards pain or away from pain. Having said that as, a, as the introduction, the 12 disciples had just gone through an experience with Judas. And they had gone through an experience watching Jesus respond to Judas. And they're trying to understand this. And as they understand it, they're trying to discern what, what's going on and, and how do we interpret this? How do we make a, a judgment about what, what do you do with our brother Judas? What happened there? And Jesus then fills them in and they make a decision because they understood from the Word of God, from the from the very Lamb of God, the explanations that help them understand the experience, decide on it, and then make these decisions about how to move. The thing is, when Jesus goes back to explain, he goes back to Scripture. Over and over again, you'll find that Jesus was going back and anchoring the Bible, uh, anchoring the, the, the disciples in the Bible. And you've heard what Spurgeon said, a Bible that is falling apart is generally belongs to Christians who aren't. When you go through the Bible, and I don't know if you do this, but the Bible has a, 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 has a quality about it that when you open the Bible, the Bible will give you insight into an experience. The Bible will give you insight into how you... Uh, discern and judge and think rightly about your experience and then the Bible will give you uh, the power to make the decisions to know what's right. That's what D David said in Psalm 119, the unfolding of your words gives light. And when you're in the darkness of damage or in the darkness of betrayal, you need some light. And you've got it in the Bible. It gives understanding to the simple it's not a complex thing. And 
David would go on to say, I like this verse, when I read it the first time, I thought, oh, this will make me smarter, at least from the eyes of God. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate. I meditate on your statutes. And if you see things as God sees things in the light that he sees things, I have more understanding than the elders, and I obey your precepts. As you get into the book of Acts, we start the book of Acts with a complex mystery about the darkness of Judas. And I mentioned two weeks ago that the overview of the book of Acts is is the Lord's going to share his power. The Lord's going to share with you. And the Lord does share with us his heart, his mercy, his compassion. He shares. He's a giving God. And he starts off in Acts 1, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Lord wants to give you power and wisdom and love and grace. But he moves into the personal presence. Not only is he a transcendent God coming out of... uh, out of space and time, but he's way beyond space and time, but he comes immediately into our our world and he gives us a personal presence as we walk with him in the garden or on the wherever we go. But he moves into the redemptive purposes, which we'll see here in Acts here in a moment. But he's establishing you and me as he did the disciples. He's establishing us as witnesses to the very power of God, how you can live in a fallen world with grace and truth and wisdom and power to move in darkness towards people who are fighting God, resisting God, who are giving you all kinds of hell. But he's going to do it with a grace that allows you, enables you to move And as they watched Jesus ascend and he said those final words, they walked back down that Mount Olivet, back across the valley, and they went to the upper room. And foremost in their mind is, now what do we do? There's 11 of us. There's 11 of us and our friend Judas is gone. They did not need to have Peter explain because they all had heard the Lord explain beforehand, before this happens, before it comes to pass, I tell you. Because Jesus had prepared his, his disciples to say, this is going to come to pass. The Son of Man must suffer. He will be delivered up. But it was at that time in the upper room that John 13 says, Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. In that room that they stood in, was the very room that echoed those words, there's one, there's one who's going to betray me. After he had washed their feet and served them, he still went on to betray Christ. And as soon as Jesus took communion, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to Judas, what you are about to do, do quickly. This is John 13. And Satan had put in the heart of man, in the heart of Judas, this notion to betray you. Now what got into Judas' mind? Experience. Christ is going to leave us in a little while. I'm not going to be here. And that third stage of trying to figure out, 
he's not going to bring the kingdom power. We're going to lose the whole thing. And Judas must have in his distorted, dark mind thought, it's all over. It's all over. There's no use trying to fight anymore. I might as well make the most of this because I've gone this far. I might as well get out, save my own hide. Whatever was going through his mind, Jesus turned to him and said, do it quickly. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, John says, and it was night. Can you imagine putting yourself in Judas' mind, leaving that upper room, leaving his friends, 11 friends, and leaving the Lord there at the table, and what his mind was doing, racing, racing. How do I escape? How do, where do I go? Where do I go? To be in the heart of, of Judas, a, a darkness that no one of us have, will ever encounter, I'm going to betray Christ. Walking through those stones, streets, and, and looking at soldiers, he passed them by and say, huh, what do I do now? But Judas was alone because he had already defected. Proverbs 18, 1 through 3. He who separates himself, get this and underline this, this is a great proverb. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. Where selfishness hits, and you find people are splitting in conflict or, or division, there's one desire operating on that throne of that human heart, and it's my desires. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. But when a wicked man comes, contempt also comes. And with dishonor comes scorn. Judas walked those streets thinking, thinking, I guess, I guess I'll just. And he goes to the priests and he tells them. They had been looking for Jesus. And Judas gives them in. Where was he going to go? Because he had just left the very one who said, my words are spirit, my words are life. To whom else shall we go, said Peter. If you walk away from Jesus, it is night. You had the faith of the apostles who were anchored in the scriptures, and you had the faith of the apostate, Judas, who had no anchor. And yet in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but I will be tangibly visible to you in the very life we share together. Judas never heard those words. This is now John 14. And, and Judas never heard that the life that he had would be life substantial and strong enough to handle any kind of doubt. You will no longer, uh, you will see that, uh, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Uh, Judas had lost that sight. And Jesus went on to say to his disciples, He who has my commandments and keeps them. He's the one who loves me. Judas' love for Christ had just been reduced. 
The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them, and I will show myself to them. Judas never heard those words. Judas never heard those words. You abide in me, and I'll abide, and I'll abide in you, and you'll bear much fruit. Not Judas. Judas didn't get this. Judas didn't understand the promise of the Holy Spirit who would guide him into all the truth for Judas was walking in the night. John 16, 13. There's one who's going to come and comfort you. But no. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. There are men and women that you know who are walking in the night. And Judas found those soldiers and they went to the rabbis and sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then he brought them back and then with a kiss, with a kiss, Judas betrays Christ. It was the defection. It was the defection of Christ from the upper, the defection of Judas from the upper room not the death of Judas that created the vacancy. When Judas left the fellowship, there was a hole. And Jesus explained it. When I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe by the name that you gave me. He prayed for them. Name um, that none have been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture now get that, so that the scripture, that the authority, the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament and the New would be fulfilled. And Judas was no longer to be named among the disciples. And his legacy was the betrayer. How different, how different is the legacy of those other men? But in the, op- in, the, in the absence of Judas, they had to choose another man. You know who the men were? There were two men. Amazing, amazing. Of all the 70 disciples, they came up with two men. The two men had a requirement to become eligible. One was Matthias, you know, who was selected to be the one to fill in. The other was an, another guy named Joseph, who was just as qualified And I've heard people say, well, he didn't have the mustard. No, it's not about that. It's that God has a place in the body for everyone. It's not about competition. It's not about winning. It's not about beating somebody or the one-upmanship. It's just the fact that this was his calling. Some people say, well, shouldn't Paul? Shouldn't Paul be the one that's the, the, the 12th disciple? Well, you couldn't ask Paul to do that. Because Paul was never a witness to the resurrection. Paul could not have been the twelfth disciple because he wasn't with him. And he didn't he wasn't there to see Christ raised from the dead or ascend to heaven. And therefore Paul would not be the one to fulfill the twelve tribe of Judah model in the New Testament of the twelve disciples. Now here's the amazing thing. You've got this wound of Judas. What did Jesus think about Judas? What do you think about people when they betray you? A long time ago, Jesus had said from the beginning of John 6, he knew all along that Judas would be betraying him. And yet, 
all along, God, through Christ, gave Judas grace, 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 grace. Everywhere that Judas went, through all the times of the disciples, he was filled with grace. And God was gracious to Judah, even though Judah was going to betray him. It's amazing. Washed his feet. Gave him every opportunity to, to enjoy forgiveness. But it was not to be. And therefore, when, G, when Judas wounded Christ, betrayed Christ, Christ would go to the cross for that wound. You and I have wounded Christ. For our sins also we have been betraying Christ. And therefore we are no different than Judas in the sense that we also deserve the judgment of God. But like Judas, Jesus knew his wound from Judas. He knows our wound from Judas. Uh, He knows our wound from our sins. And therefore when we defect and we walk away from Christ, Christ treats each one of us like he treated Judas with grace and mercy and understanding. Judas walked away from Christ. Christ did not walk away from Judas. And therefore, as he says in Peter, Peter says, this is how you handle a wounded heart when somebody hurts you. Do what Christ did. And Peter says this, And while being reviled, Jesus did not revile in return. While, being, while suffering, Jesus uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin, not just to pain, but to the sin and to live in righteousness. Because by his wounds, you are healed and you can walk in a fallen world with those who wound, revile, cause you to suffer. This is the model. This is the model that we have from the disciples. Healing the Judas wound of betrayal means this. First of all, that you never let any incident, episode, experience in your life that is damaging or violent become the definer of the relationship. It's not the externals that define the internal. It's the internal that defines the external. And if your wounded heart is filled with grace, you don't let the relational wound define your response in that relationship. That's what Christ does. Christ never took cues from Judas. In this case, Judas didn't take his cue from Christ. But two, you forgive And you go through this experience and you understand the experience and you decide to forgive in this experience that your friend is being influenced by a a dark force, by Satan in this case, rather than the Holy Spirit. And you bring about forgiveness to those who wound you. That's what I did to the guy in Japan. And it cost me. I suffered, but I forgave him And I was able to move through that. Not easily, because you're wounded. 
And a wounded warrior will walk with a limp. But you walk in grace. Three, you will suffer. If you've been crucified with Christ, you will bleed. And you're in conflict relationships, you will hurt. Don't let pain be the Lord of your life. Let the Lord be the Lord of your pain. You will suffer. And therefore, as you move in pain with another person's benefit, another person's restoration, you will be required to have some power And that power to move in grace and forgiveness is not natural. It's supernatural. That's why the Holy Spirit's required. And therefore, as we abide in the Word of God, as the Word of God opens our eyes and illumines our hearts and gives us the grace to move in pain, we move as the disciples could, putting the past behind And as we put the past behind, you realize you don't have to wipe out the past. You realize you don't have to bring the past in the present. But when you do focus on the past, you're not focused on Christ. We deprive the community then of this healing gift of grace to move in pain to those who are oppressed and caught up in betrayal or caught up in any darkness. If we conceal and hide our wounds and shame, like Judas did, if we hide our doubts and we just say, I believe in a higher power, and we never get to the heart of the issue, darkness will never be eliminated. Shame will never be resolved, and there'll be no light. But for us as believers, I want you to know that that which the disciples had learned through walking with their brother Judas empowered them to go into the whole world to say, we've got good news. He's alive. He's resurrected. He's ascended. He's seated at the right hand of God. And you can have new life in Christ. And with that, they stayed in that room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And that's what chapter 2 is all about. The idea that this elephant in the room had to be addressed before they could go on. But God's Spirit addressed this issue and resolved this issue for them and they moved off the past. You may have issues that you understand that are past issues, but don't let those define your relationship. Let grace define your relationship and understand your wrestle is not with people. The wrestle is with the sin that's destroying the people. And so keep that in mind. You have the power to forgive And you have the power to walk in peace in the midst of a world in pain. We have good news. For those who walk in night, walk in darkness, we bring grace and hope and love. That's the good news. That's our legacy. And as Doug said to his his grandson, listen to him. I said, don't listen to me. Listen to the Lord. Read the book of John. Who is God and what does he require of you? The same for you and me today. You are witnesses of the same power today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your deep, deep love. Love that moves us into these dark spots. 
that heals us so that we are not defined any longer by what we experience, but we are defined by you and the experience of your word as we understand and we discern that you have words of life and that you are the light of life. Father, I pray for each one of us as we, as we hear these words that you would give us the power to move in pain in this fallen world with a promise of peace, that we would be Christ to those who don't know you. Again, Father, would you use this to build your church and help us grow in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.